And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Smart Money Circle. I'm your host, Adam Sarhan. With me today is Dr. Ali Parsa, who's the founder and CEO of Babylon Inc., which is trading at ticker symbol BBLN. Dr. Parsa, welcome to the show. Adam, thank you so much for having me. So I always like to ask, can you tell us a little about your background and how you got to be where you are today? Uh, sure. I um, uh, did a PhD in physics and uh, I didn't have money to pay for it. So I uh, got some scholarship that to supplement the scholarship, I built a business. I got lucky the business did very well. And I so when the PhD finished, I sold the business. Uh, and I found out that the investment bankers who sold it for me per hour of work they did, did phenomenally well compared to what I did. So I became an investment banker for a while. I was with people like uh, Merrill Lynch and then uh, lastly with Goldman Sachs. Um, and then when my first child was born, uh, I decided that uh, I want to become an entrepreneur again. So I went and built a chain of hospitals in the UK, which is now the largest uh, chain of hospital in UK. It was the largest partnership of doctors in Europe. Um, and uh, then I took the company public. It did very well. It actually was recently acquired by Centene Corporation for a billion and a half dollars or so. Uh, but what I discovered was that actually by the time we go to a hospital, Adam, it's almost too late. We've allowed for a crisis and an emergency happen and we go there. And I thought, could we do with healthcare what Google did with information? Can mm. we make it accessible, affordable, put it in the hands of everybody? Can mm. we collect enough data from you to avoid the crisis and emergencies that you constantly uh, uh, deal with? And that's when we created Babylon. And you know how it is when an idea gets into an entrepreneur's head, it's really hard to push it out. So I left uh, uh, my previous hospital group to set up Babylon a week later. And uh, seven, eight years later, here we are. Wonderful. So can you tell us a little about Babylon, the overview, and any message you want to send to investors, please? Well, I think the model of Babylon is really simple. Uh, this thing you and I call healthcare, it really isn't a healthcare, it's sick care. We wait until you get sick, and then we try to deal with your emergency and crisis. It reminds right. me, Adam, of the time that you and I used to drive our cars until it broke down, and then we took it to a garage to fix it. Right. Who does that anymore? We buried so many sensors in our cars that it alerts us when something's going wrong. We prevent it and therefore it doesn't happen. Or we intervene right. early, therefore the cost is not as bad. Why don't we do that with our body? There is enough technology out. Nobody should get a stage three, a stage four cancer. All the, all the biomarkers, all the alerts are out there. It's just that nobody's watching. And right. everybody makes money by that crisis when you go to the hospital and cost a fortune. So therefore nobody's stopping it. And I think there is a better model and that's what we're trying to do to fundamentally turn that on its head and tell to insurers, you know what your medical losses are going to be. You have a good uh, 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 thing for this, um, uh, assumption for this uh, through your actuaries, do you know very well what that budget is. You give us that budget. Now you don't have any incentives to do the old things the other way. If we overspend, that's our loss. But if we save money, that's our saving. And we try to then invest all the money as much as possible on you upfront to avoid some of those emergencies and crises. And that's how we make our uh, money. And the business has been doing phenomenally well. As you know, it's been growing fourfold, 400% wow. a year. 
every year for the last four years, that tells you that there is this huge amount of demand because insurers, governments also understand that this old model doesn't work anymore and are looking for solutions. So I know you use AI as well. Can you talk a little about, you take the information, you wanna do what Google did with information, but you're doing it for healthcare or sick care. And you wanna be more preemptive where you find the problems before it gets to the point of needing a crisis and needing to go to the hospital and so on and so forth. So how do you incorporate AI and how do you put those sensors on the body so people know, if you, if you don't mind explain that a little bit. Yes, that's a very, very important question. And it's at the center of what we do. So in order to make information or data useful, first you have to capture it. Right. So we had to figure out, and healthcare data is everywhere, is in your watch, but it's also in, in, in old fashioned databases, is in hospital systems. So first we had to figure out how do we collect all of that data? It took us a long time to figure out, and a lot of these data are not in the standard formats that you could take out, right? Once you take it, then the question is, where do you leave it? If you leave it in the old fashioned relational databases, they kind of are very hard to analyze and take out in real time. So we had to create graph databases that we put that data in. And then in these health graphs, we needed to be able to stream that data continuously in real time to be able to uh, be uh, uh, to analyze it to, uh, in, in real time too, to get insight out of it in real time. Now that insight, you can't have a human being sitting there and watching every string of data. So you need artificial intelligent agents, basically AI right. agents who are just monitoring that data and seeing that what can we do? Now these agents can be many, many different models. We've deployed some and we have to deploy a lot more. For instance, our uh, scientists were telling me the other day that they've come up with a model that can look at your past data to predict with a good degree of accuracy, your chances of going to being hospitalized in the next 12 months. Right. If you think about that, that seems like an amazing thing. But frankly, if you go to a doctor and a doctor examine you, it's a human mind looking at that data and say, hey, Adam, if you keep going the way you're going, your chances of being hospitalized in the next 12 months is very low, not an accident. Right, right. right. So it's not a hard thing to do. It's just nobody does it, right? right? And we can't afford to have human beings doing it for every single individual. But when you build a model, you invest a significant amount of time in the infrastructure of the data and in the infrastructure of the model. But once it's there, the incremental cost of delivering it is very little. And that's why platform companies, technology companies like us, who come into an industry and take the old fashioned brick and mortar human-based model and turn it on its head and made it make it uh, data-based and AI-based, uh, it can win in the long term because of incremental cost of delivery once we build the platform is significantly less than existing models. Interesting. So who you said the insurers and governments are your customers. How does the individual plug into Babylon and benefit from Babylon? So today, Unless your insurer signs you up to Babylon in United States, we're not open. We're not a B2C model of care. Partly okay. because healthcare okay. is one of those things that the vast majority of people are insured or have a way of have somebody else to pay for it. Uh, and, and also from a business model, uh, it is a lot easier to persuade an insurer to give you 5,000, 10,000 members at a time than right. it is to persuade 5,000 people to join. So if you think about this, Adam. Yes. 
In January 2020, we had almost zero members in the United States. In October 2020, we obtained our, today we look after 4 million people who have access to our healthcare, but that's usually fee for service if you want to see a doctor. But, after, but in October 2020, only 18 months ago, 20 months ago, we had our first cohort of 15,000 members whose entire budget was given to us and said, look after them. Wow. Today, we're just shy of 300,000 members. Wow, well done. A billion dollar worth of revenue that, that has come in, in only about 20 months. And that's, that just shows the demand for a service that is not the system that is making all of us bankrupt, frankly, by spending so much on crisis and emergencies of us. No, I love it. So once somebody's in the platform, if I'm with my insurance company and they're allowing me to use Babylon, that's right. How does the customer, is the patient actually able to access their own data or is it more for the insurance person to let them know? We are the only one who see the data together with the member. The member can see all of their own data. We more and more on board, uh, more and more data. Every generation of our technology allows people to interact more. But fundamentally, you have our application is on your phone 24-7. You can monitor yourself. More importantly, you can talk either to one of our concierge health um, uh, concierge or health uh, 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 assistances anytime you want. 24-7, within minutes, you can talk to a doctor or a nurse on any issues you have. Or if you are monitoring you and you have a problem like your diabetes and we want to contact you and say, hey, Adam, it seems like your sugar level is too high today. Right. Or it seems your heart rate is uh, too bad last night or your blood uh, uh, pressure has fallen. Uh, we, so we can proactively see what goes on with you. Wonderful. So it's not just a reactive thing. There's a proactive element as well. Absolutely. But, but it's really interesting, Adam. In United Kingdom, where we have been longest, the National Health Service in NHS, the NHS in UK, published a set of data from which a peer-reviewed paper was written that showed that we can reduce the total cost of care by up to 35% wow. of the patients we look after versus a similar cohort that were not being looked after by us, that were in the old system. Think about at the time where healthcare costs are going up at five, six, seven percent, to have up to thirty-five percent cost reduction in our first few years of activity, we're learning so much every year, and we're becoming better and better every day. I genuinely think it will be possible one day to make healthcare accessible and affordable for everybody. I think this old model of healthcare that is so expensive that only a few can reach, it will become a thing of past. I uh, hope so. Yeah. And it can be built. Yeah, it can be I built. sure hope so. So, um, Dr. Ali, I want to talk to you about risk and how do you handle risk with respect to business? And then uh, what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management when they run a business? So I think people do two things simultaneously. And some, some go more one way, some go more the other way. Both are bad. One is people are rather cavalier sometimes about risk. They say, ah, it's a risk if it happens. I mean, we are in healthcare and in healthcare, what you learn is you can't take a risk with human life. Right. Uh, so 
you have to be super careful. A lot of entrepreneurs I see who say, oh, regulation, this regulation. There's a good reason why regulation exists. It right. usually has come in because it's there to protect us, right? So, so I am a big believer that you have to be, you have to take risks very carefully. And actually, but secondly, and that's the other part of the coin, is so many businesses approach to risk has become so petrified that they just simply try to take no risk. And mm. as a result, the business is stagnates. It doesn't right. move, it doesn't do anything. Right. And the job of leaders is to basically continuously balance that risk. The risk of doing too much versus the risk of doing nothing. Right. Each side of these things are not gonna work. People talk about entrepreneurs as if we are big risk takers. It's just not true. Right. We are actually massive calculators of risk. We constant. I never take a risk that can kill me. Right. And I constantly can take a risk that if things go wrong, I can change course very quickly and fix it. Right. That's really smart. So you want to push the envelope, but don't break the envelope. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I love. If that. I was only as articulate as you, Adam, I could have done this interview a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good team. So that's worth risk. So let's talk about leadership for a second. How do you, what makes a great leader and what have you learned over the years that you would have liked to teach yourself, your former self, when you first started in the business and in that entrepreneurial spirit? Can you talk about just traits that make a good leader, please? So those are two different questions. So I'll take the first one, which is what, what are the traits that get a great leader? Uh, and and I don't know if I am one. I hope to be one, but it's it's. Uh, but but the thing I learned, it's 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 never about an individual. Uh, it doesn't really matter how brilliant I may or may not be in the job I do. Anything that matters requires more than one person to do it. Right. right? And right. and therefore leadership is all, never about how does how do you do. It's all about how does the team do. Right. And, 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 and therefore, the job of a leader is to bring the best out of the team. And that means to create an environment in which people are not afraid to fail, are not afraid to speak up their mind, are not afraid to uh, really make the reality that the intelligence of many is always more than the intelligence of the few. Right. Count, right? Um, but at the same time, in an environment in where everybody can express their views and decide and debate, once that debate has happened, you have the discipline for everybody to commit and then to deliver and execute. Right. I find organization where they go wrong is again, they go wrong in either of the two. Some places become talking shops where everybody can talk and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And some organizations become just execution jobs, but everybody's miserable because nobody's uh, 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 opinions counts. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think great leadership is about creating an environment in which each person can do their best for the team to be at its best. I love that. And then what about some great lessons you've learned along the way on your journey thus far that you'd like to share with the audience? So I tell you, what I learned is, is I can mess it up all the time. <laughs> And everybody else, everybody else that I know does it all the time. Yeah. So it never really is about the mistakes you make okay. or how many things you do wrong. It's how quickly do you have the humility to accept that you made a mistake 
and then you fix the mistake. Mm -hmm. That's really what matters. Uh, <clears throat> so it's not about perfection, it's about flexibility and persistence and tenacity to keep going. I had a friend who once became top 200 in, a, in, in one of the most arduous races in the winter where thousands of people participated on a bike race of 200, 300 kilometers in the Alps. It's one of the hardest races you could do. Mm -hmm. And he became in the top 200. And I asked him, that's incredible. You're an amateur. How did you do that? He said, only 200 people finished. <laughs> Everybody else <laughs> gave up, right? And he just finished, kept going. Right. <laughs> and I think that that, that uh, tenacity and thinking flexibly and thinking smartly and not being arrogant and have humility and humbleness are, are very important traits. And having compassion to understand like why something got wrong, not to blame, but to cooperate. Those are the things that make it work. Now, I love that. And then those are timeless lessons. How about some timeless mistakes that you've seen, you've made, or you've seen other people make that you'd like to share as well? So um, when we created Babylon, I wrote on the wall of the very first office we had, which was a studio at the end of my garden, uh, big, that three things, it's a dream big, build fast and be brilliant. And be brilliant? And, and be brilliant. Okay. Because I think a lot of time people make the mistake to think that something is small is easier to do. The reality is it doesn't matter if you run a little shop or the whole of Amazon. You only have 24 hours in your life. And therefore, uh, you spend as much time, effort, energy uh, in doing both. So always try and do something that matters, that has an impact, that is big. But build it fast because time goes. I'm in my 50s and I tell you, I have no idea where life went. It goes right. so quickly that yeah. procrastinating, taking time, trying to do uh, achieve perfection doesn't kind of work. You just need to get on with it and build it and be in a hurry. We have a sense of urgency yeah. in you. But thirdly, is that that being in a hurry and having a sense of urgency, does that mean cutting corners? I was an engineer. And I tell you, one thing you learn in engineering, you wrong, you build a foundation wrong, everything eventually crumbles, right? right. So you Game have over. to be brilliant. Steve Jobs famously looking inside the computer and making sure that it looks as beautiful as outside was the reason why the computer outside looked as beautiful because you create that culture. So mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer uh, in, in dreaming big, having big dreams, building it fast, and, and trying to be as brilliant as you are. And, I, and then my, my one single advice to all people, because most people who are listening to your podcast are people who've done well or are in the process of doing well. I think that whatever you've done, never forget how lucky you've been in life. From the moment you've been born to the parents that, 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 uh, that brought you up, to the genetics you have, all of that. So make it part of your dream to make it possible for other people's dream to come true too. Right, so make sure that you 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 just do do that. So so the mistakes I see people make is when they kind of go away from either of those, whether they kind of settle for something small, whether it's in life or in business, whether they 
they do it slowly thinking they have all the time in the world whether they they fudge they cut corners or whether they become really selfish and try to keep everything for themselves and not share i love that that's some really really good advice so uh shift the gears for a second here let's talk about obstacles and adversity what are some obstacles that you faced along your journey and how did you overcome them so i think what matters is overcoming look i was i was a teenager when a revolution happened in my country it made uh, my 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 existence impossible so i had to leave the country as a refugee on my home imagine a 15 year old 16 year old on your own you have to go from one country to another country i didn't speak any english i didn't have any parents at the time you had no idea whether you would even see them ever again there was mm -hmm. no mobile phones there was none of these connectivities it was a dangerous journey and then I went from a middle-class family to being superbly poor on my own, living on a state benefit and figuring out how to stand on my own feet. Mm -hmm. And and really what you learn is it's not that bad. <laughs> you, think, you think it's a disaster, but you, you kind of adapt, you figure out, you, right. you stand on your feet and you make it work. Right. And those uh, difficulties, which actually Malcolm Gladwell calls desirable difficulties, make you who you are, make you the kind of person who just can deal with situations. I, I, I tell you, every time something is going wrong, I always kind of think about it, it can't be as bad as it was then. Right. And I, quite frankly, I had a good time then. So it's not going to be really that bad. Um, so so I, I think Difficulties are something in life that if we don't face, we should almost seek because that's how we become better. When you go to the gym, you don't go and lift a very light weight that it has no effort. You know that to build your muscles, you have to build uh, harder weights than you normally do to break some muscle tissue, to go through the pain, to be able to rebuild. The same is true about our character. Right. Uh, a character that doesn't face difficulty is not a strong character. It's just by definition. So I love that. Next level genius. So let's talk about when things are going very well. Do you go after those desirable difficulties and seek difficulties to get even better? Or do you rest in your laurels and say, hey, things are good and thank you and that's that? Look, we grew fourfold a year, every year, right? At any time, we could have switched off broadcasts turn the business into something profitable and then just kind of enjoy life, right? right. But, but, but that doesn't have an impact, right? If you're serving 10,000 people, it's not like serving 40,000. If you're serving 40,000, it's not like serving 160,000. If mm -hmm. you're sending 160,000, it's not like serving 720,000, so on and so forth, right? You just need to have this desire, this zeal to push further uh, and go more. If you believe in your model, as I do, I believe that somebody will create in healthcare, what the largest industry in the world, one of the largest companies in the world. The reason these companies in healthcare are by and large so small, with the exception of insurance company, is because by and large they're very local. Even your best hospital at best has a few branches or a few systems, right? Nobody has created a global platform Right. that can be deployed. We are now in 15 different countries and we're learning from each of these countries how to make it better and better. From UK, 
we didn't come to Germany or France, we went to Rwanda, one of the poorest countries in the world, to figure out how do you serve those people. When we came to the US, we went to um, Medicaid community in Fresno, one of the poorer uh, cities in California. But then we went to the Marine County, one of the richest cities in California, serving some of the uh, best financial to do people. Why? Because you're constantly trying to learn and say, how do I create a model of all care that the richest and the most uh, 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 in demand want, but then I can give it to the poorest and the most in need. I love right? it. Right. And uh, so, so I think I think those are critical to constantly push your business, and that's how you create differentiation. Eventually, mm -hmm. you push yourself so far, you've created so much that when others look at it, there is just nothing they can do. Look, there is a reason why nobody else in the United States, when we came here, could grow as fast as us because right. nobody has had the platform we had. Right? But it took us years to build that platform not just in UK, but in Rwanda, in Southeast Asia. So by the time we came to US, we had learned how to be adaptable across multiple cultures, countries, income levels. And now let's talk about that for a second. Do you find differences in as you go over the world in those 15 countries, or do you find that people are people are people, they're just different languages or different behaviors, but at the end of the day, human nature is the same, or do you find differences? If so, what are they? differences because we're all unique but you're absolutely right look when, when i i was a native at some stage then i became an immigrant then i'm a native again because this is us is now my country uh, i was young i'm much older now i was rich enough i became poor and now i'm rich enough again <laughs> you know and what i learned in life it doesn't really matter if you're young old rich poor uh, insider, outsider. We all, all have the same needs, the same desires. We just have different opportunities. And, and, and when it comes to healthcare, they, that opportunity, that, that need is universal, it's biological, right? It's inherent in us being human. So this idea that I can only serve this group or that group or this group because they're so different, it's complete nonsense. Uh, you can create a global model of healthcare that can serve everyone. I love it. And I couldn't agree more. So my background is also entrepreneurial. I'm in the investing space. I just published a book. It's called Psychological Analysis for Investing. And the whole premise of the book is to remove the emotions and make rational decisions. And I've gone back and studied the booms and busts and the bubbles and the busts. And I've realized that the, the assets change, the tulips in Holland or the dot-com or whatever the asset is has changed. The century has changed. But the one constant is human nature. That's just the people are, you know, walk into a crowded theater, yell fire. What happens? People are going to respond the same way. So I, I love that. Um, I guess the final question is, what is the best piece of advice you'd like to share with your 30-year-old self or 20-year-old self getting started? It's a really good question. And I, 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 I don't know uh, what the advice would be. I don't know, I'm, I'm yet wise enough to have that advice. If you ask me that in 20 years, maybe towards the end of my life, I learned enough because I, I honestly look at myself and say, what I know now, if only I knew it a year ago. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, we took our company public in the United States. You, you mentioned and you're an investment bank. We did it. I mean, I should get the award for the worst time 
thing, right? With due respect, because when you're growing fourfold a year, you yeah. don't want to take your company public based on its previous results. You want to share your thing. But all to us, and most SPACs kind of didn't meet the numbers. They were making numbers up. So as a result, none of them, a lot of them didn't meet the projections, right? Now mm -hmm. we not only met it, but we outperformed it by 30, 40, 50%, whatever it was, uh, and it is continuously, but we got in lumped with that thing. So by the time we came in, no US investor bought uh, to it. So we kind of were left a, a bit of an orphan stock where anybody who sold a few uh, thousand shares, the valuation fell by, by a few million and few tens of millions, so on and so forth. So that was only six months ago. My point is now we're fixing it and it'll come into and it'll thing. I mean, I think it was Benjamin Graham that uh, said in the uh, short run stock markets are always a voting machine made the long run, they're always a weighing machine. You create the weight, everything comes. I mean, can't be that forever. We'll, we'll be at a four or five times uh, worse multiples than, than our peers, right? Somebody is gonna figure this out. So my point is that was six months ago. Right. right. I made that, uh, you could call it mistake or whatever. Uh, uh, so uh, if, if I can learn so much in six months on something so important to me, the valuation or value of my company and the way it is, can you imagine what I learned in six years, in 20 years? But, but if I, you ask me right now, I would say the same. Every time I deviated from dreaming big, building fast and being brilliant, I ended up paying for it. And I if I was that. just telling myself anything, I would say, find the biggest problems in the world and focus on those. Don't waste time, build it incredibly fast. Tomorrow is not good for what you could do today. And don't compromise. Just, just be brilliant at every little detail. And all of that comes back to pay big time. And we are very lucky that, that it has served us really well. I absolutely love it. Well, this has been super, super fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us and timeless advice. And hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thank you so much, Adam. Thanks for Thank having you. me.